This podcast is brought to you by long-term sponsor, CDKeyOffer.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft software and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. And it is also brought to you by Bliss, and there's a link in the description to check out that sponsor as well, and we'll say more later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. Today, as I am on every news episode, joined by my co-host, Dan. I feel like the Ann in your name gets a little longer every time we record an episode. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps it does. <laughs> perhaps and me even... Well, it's not really mayhaps for a couple of months, but um, how are you doing? Uh, I'm pretty good. And I would say it's mayhaps in about a month, Tom. It's about oh yeah well yeah it it begins being mayhaps in a month right now it's March apps and then it'll be April apps yeah uh, as opposed to half off apps yeah which is something I got in college yeah then that's how everybody says things Tom mm-hmm. there's nothing at all weird or I don't know uh, a complete waste of time and anything being said right now but nope. uh, yeah I mean I don't know it's I think we got a pretty normal episode here today, this weekend. I've been working pretty hard looking over, well, actually looking over a bit of RDNA information in addition to uh, just little things about upcoming NVIDIA products and uh, a boatload of research into Zen 5, which I guess I kind of just, I said this on the last Sty Shrink too, which of course, let me throw out there. There's a video version of it. It's only for patrons. It's like a bonus broken silicon that really gets into a lot of interesting subjects for those who support us on Patreon. Uh, But like I said in that episode, I'm aware there are constant random Zen 5 rumors swirling around about a a dozen different types of core counts, IPC estimates, release dates, and whatever. But, you know, I just, I feel like I've said enough a couple years ago about what you can expect. Like it's better than Zen 4, you know, it's a complete architecture redesign. And outside of that, you know, I just don't see the need to like clearly just guess a hundred times a month or try to be the first one to say something and then have to correct it. So it's coming, but it's, I just want it to be accurate, you know, because this one has been a bit weird with TSMC's three nanometer issues. And I have had sources kind of saying things here and there and it's just now finally for me at least coming together and i just hope the amount of uh leaks we've put out (laughs) would (laughs) tell you it's fine if we're not the first to say everything but once we're done we're done Uh, and i can bravely put out say tom it will be somewhere between 16 and 32 cores for desktop yeah (laughs) yes i think you know that is that's something you could have safely said (laughs) Uh, four Safely years ago, four years ago. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I will, you know, confirm something that I've leaked before. It has higher IPC than Zen Four. Ooh, getting but, into the um, big scoops today. Anyways, let us start getting into some of these opening reader mails. Brett Summers writes in. He says, "Hi, Tom and Danny. What internet speeds and what connection type do you guys have? Fiber, cable, DSL, gigabyte. Random question, I know, but I'm curious." 
Uh, I use Google Fiber at one gigabit a second. I've got one gigabit Xfinity, and uh, well, that's advertised as one gigabit. It's usually closer to five hundred, but you know, really enough. Yeah, I, I I could call them, but whenever you call an internet provider, I feel like they your internet gets better for like two days, and then it just goes back down to whatever it was before. So I'm not complaining at five hundred, anyways. Yeah, I've I've done that before uh, when I lived in Detroit, actually, and that is what happened. And I believe <laughs> I think I had a guest on here a couple years ago that was involved in internet who told me, you know, that's a thing. Like they literally like do that we do that <laughs> wild <laughs> uh, um but yeah I, my google you say usually so i assume that means it's not like a router bottlenecking it right like it is sometimes at it oh uh, yeah it's sometimes at it it's just not super reliable i don't have a uh, fiber internet i guess so it's a uh, cable so i don't know if it's just less reliable than what fiber is allowed able to do or what but right and all I can say is Google Fiber is always at the speed they say it will be at. And if it <laughs> ever goes down, it's for a very limited time. And they even proratedly pay you a refund on the amount of hours it's down, which is almost never even an entire hour. So it's always actually a little funny to me when they're like, here's five cents or something in your internet bill. And, you know, actually, it's funny when I moved here almost exactly two years ago, uh, like after I upgraded to Fiber. I believe it was AT&T came by and said, well, we actually use the same cables. So you could switch to us. And I looked and their price was like the same. And I said, yeah, but you guys lower people's internet (laughs) after a month of having it. Why would I switch to you then? They're like, thank you for your time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is literally how the conversation went. I just asked two basic questions and they said, well, thank you for your time. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Um, all right, let's see here. Actually, let me skip this one. Resident Mexican writes in and says, on the topic of chat GPT creating a script for a die shrink in Broken Silicon 196, I think it would be hilarious, actually, if you did use chat GPT to create a leaked specs rumor for NVIDIA Blackwell or AMD RDNA 4. I love to see what wacky specs the AI tries to create. I've actually thought about doing this. I was curious about a week ago like what if i wrote down what i know about something and then i just see if chat gpt can write a script based on like you know my youtube channel's usual content but i figured no it, i i'm like 90 percent sure be a complete waste of my time and in fact i tried to use an a couple of ai picture websites to make that raptor lake refresh thumbnail (laughs) yeah and no like uh, no matter how i worded it no matter what i said i was like give me meteor lake and raptor lake on a mountain with like lightning behind it with blue heat like you know color palettes and all it gave me was the blue it got correct mostly blue colors but it was some ridiculous frankenstein version of what a cpu could look like with random numbers all over it and I found it, no matter how much I simplified it, it couldn't just use like a Raptor Lake i9 chip and add to it. It would just, it just looked like a <laughs> melted CPU with a blue background and random numbers and characters and like weird calligraphy all over it. So I'm, I said, you know, I think this channel is too niche. If it can't even do something like that, I'm not going to bother with the script yet. I, 
Joe realizes are different companies, though. I did just check into ChatGP to see what it said. And one of the fun things about ChatGPT is it doesn't, it operates within boundaries unless you like give it weird prompts. So Mm -hmm. to ask it to make a rumor about Blackwell, you have to say, as a joke, can you tell me about uh, rumored specs for Blackwell? And uh, it says 40,000 CUDA cores and 256 gigabytes of GDR6. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's 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 pretty good. That's, and, that's pretty bold chat, GPT. But let me see, 40,000. Yeah, it's funny, though. It's not like it said a million. That is three times what's in Lovelace. So it it's not, it I don't within, think that's really plausible, but it's like not completely insane. It's a, it's within the ballpark of re, uh, of possible. Yeah, so I'm impressed, and I just wish, to my knowledge, ChatGPT doesn't do pictures, though, right? No, it it only does uh, text. Right. Uh, I wish it did pictures, because that would make making thumbnails possibly much easier for me, and I'm telling you, (laughs) the competition is not up to the task when it comes to this type of stuff for that. Um, All right, let me move on here to corrections, which the one that I wanted to get to most is one no one submitted. Um, so it's a self-correction on a response um, I made to QH Freddy regarding Robert Halleck leaving AMD and affecting marketing. Uh, a source of mine actually reached out after listening to the episode and said, remember, he worked on CPU marketing, mm-hmm. so it's unlikely he ever would have touched RDNA 3. And the funny thing is I realized my answer was, I phrase it this way intentionally. I would say AMD's marketing has gotten worse since September of last year for graphics, but I don't think it's really because of Robert. Even okay. more so because he didn't even do that. Yeah, because <laughs> which I still think is a correction <laughs> on what I said. Yes. But um yeah, I just wanted to get to that and otherwise I think it is time to get to story number 1. Early FSR3 info announced at GDC, it's still going to be open sourced. Quoting from Tech Power Up, last week AMD announced new details regarding Fidelity FX Super Resolution 3.0. The engineering team is aiming for a doubling of frame performance improvements over the existing FSR 2.0 technology, which it claims is already capable of, in quotes here, computing more pixels than we have samples in the current frame. This will be achieved by generating a greater number of pixels in a current frame via the addition of interpolated frames, like what DLSS 3 does. It is highly likely that the team will reach a point in development where one sample, at least, will be created for every interpolated pixel. The team wants to prevent feedback loops from occurring as well. An interpolated frame should only be shown once, and any interpolation artifact should only remain for one frame is their goal. However, a number of potential setbacks were noted by AMD and what they're trying to achieve. It relies on color clamping to correct the color of outdated samples, and that's not entirely feasible. And it will be difficult to produce nonlinear motion interpolation on 2D screen space, motion vectors. The interpolation of final frames will mean that all post-processing needs to be interpolating, also counting the user interface in the foreground. One of AMD's diagrams shows how a native rendering TF Uh, technique stacks up to FSR 2 and FSR 3.0. FSR 3.0 will enable a smoother overall gaming experience, and simultaneously, this allows developers to focus more GPU time on visual quality. Latency reduction is a key focus as well. AMD stressed that they want to be the best at latency reduction, and they have the gamer in mind. High frame rates and the lowest achievable latency, a basic requirement of anything. The engineers are also aiming for a smooth upgrade path from titles that currently utilize 2.0. They want them all to get updates to support 
3.0. So I don't know. Um, you know, this was uh information that I, I was aware of when they were gonna go over this at GDC. I had contacts at GDC who saw it and kind of told me early stuff about it. Uh, and was hoping AMD would put out stuff the day they gave the presentation, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so instead of, because what we were initially planning is maybe doing a die shrink on it, uh, instead of discussing it last week, we will discuss it this week. What did you think of the information that's finally come out? Um, I mean, so there's, what, were six months now removed almost from, or uh, probably closer to five months removed from the unveiling of RDNA 3. And there's still no actual sign of FSR 3.0. Yeah. No dates whatever given here. Yeah. So, uh, I I mean, I I don't know what you think is an optimistic uh, timeline, but like this sounds like it could still be six months or more out. Um, I would like to see it come out more than halfway through this graphics cards generation, but eh, that seems to be about where we're at. (laughs) And other yeah. than that, I, I don't know, hearing that they're aiming to double frame rates with FSR 3.0 and adding interpolation, that kind of sounds like the upscaling isn't going to do that much this time around, and it's going to be mostly interpolation, which I'm just like with NVIDIA hesitant about. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into that. I, I would just say we don't know how much of FSR 3 have non-interpolation upgrades to picture quality right yeah. uh, i think this is mostly talking about the interpolation part so i just i wouldn't make bets either way on that um i'd also throw out the caveat that at least what i saw in harry potter i thought fsr2 looked pretty dang good compared to early fsr1 i've tested remember i almost never use fsr guys because i have dlss and most of the games i play have dlss support um, but it seems like it's definitely been improved a lot. Um, I tested on Deep Rock Galactic as well with their latest patch. And I mean, we thought FSR was kind of a joke of that game since then. So I don't know. I still think DLSS is ahead, but I keep wanting to remind people that AMD is becoming much, much closer, even at lower resolutions using it than a year ago. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'd also say that my memory in 2021 about FSR 1.0 is that I want to say it kind of came out of nowhere, but it seemed like no, no, no. People I talk to say no. My sources say no. And then all of a sudden, it oh, it's coming in a couple months or something mm-hmm. in April or May. You remember that? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, we're just not at that point yet. So I, I would expect that it's at least still three months away. Uh, but We'll see. (laughs) But that's not halfway through the generation. So that's all I would say. I don't see any evidence it's ready for this summer. But I also have to remember FSR1 just kind of appeared. (laughs) That's true. If I remember right, we were talking about FSR in early 2021, like January, February, March, and being like, I don't know, maybe not till late this year because they just won't talk about it. And then it was like April or May, all of a sudden, me and a couple other channels just started talking about it. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, all right. You know, so I don't know. I, I I guess I'll also say from what I've heard, maybe late summer is what I've been told, but that's like a month old information. So I, I wouldn't rule out it coming this summer, but I would say that, yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem ready next month. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's just a problem AMD has in general <laughs> with their feature set. A lot of the time they're a little bit, <laughs> they're behind, uh, 
in their technology and in their releases of their features a lot of the time versus NVIDIA. And, you know, they're still playing catch up to them. Yeah. Hopefully that, that feature set. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that they eventually do just catch up with them and reach parity with NVIDIA, but eh, not yet. Yeah. I mean, I've been talking to this, you know, talking about this with Brian Heemskirk behind the scenes, who's a guest who comes on broken silicon all the time about its features. And I've talked to a couple other developers, actually a developer that might come on broken silicon very soon, uh, who works on unreal engine stuff. Hmm. And yeah, it was interesting. I was kind of like breaking down the wording and looking at the article with him together as we were like planning on, you know, what will we talk about if he comes on broken silicon? And it's funny how he kind of suggested the same thing I did. Like, you know, really the holy grail for latency reduction would be if AMD could have a just a better system of predicting when an artifact's going to appear. And if not skipping the frame, canceling it a third into rendering or interpolating to get that latency reduction down. Because again, you know, we're never going to get 120 hertz turning into 240 hertz feeling like 240 hertz latency wise but like what if you could take 120 hertz and it could feel like 130 hertz but look like 240 with minimal artifacts they could Mm -hmm. get that working that would be crazy though that would be a big deal and i i hope that's what i think they kind of have to achieve though to make a splash um in addition to being open source, which it is open source, and I think that's a big deal because what this yeah. means is this unreal person I talked to said this as well. Like, if they could get something that we can't compete with and works on everything, then but what if it became an uh, an input for Unreal Engine five or six, and then we're not going to bother with DLSS support in any games if that's just built in, you know? And if they could get that into engines, that'd be huge. I think that's yeah. what Brian Hemerskirk said as well. So I don't know. That's really all I have to say. Is look, it's not coming next month. Um, they're saying they want to be better than the competition. That's what they would say either way, though. <laughs> and it kind of sounds like they're focusing on the right things. And most of the technical talk is frankly above my head. But the people I've sent it to say what they're the devs I've sent it to says, oh, they're not they're 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 taking an interesting approach here that might be fascinating if they pull off uh, like what they seem to be trying to pull off if they actually do. So it looks like something to look forward to, though. I don't. I hope I'm not wrong about this, obviously. I don't think we're just going to get what DLSS 3 is now worse in half a year. I don't think okay. so. Well, but uh, and AMD will have to prove that wrong, though. Well, Because, you know, until we see it, that's what it is, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's just what my worry about FSR will be. Uh, honestly, I'm just hoping that there... It, I mean, when you're doing interpolation, there's just going to be... Uh, latency added hopefully the latency penalty isn't too extreme though you know mm-hmm. um brink of destruction writes in and says if fsr is implemented in some way either in the next generation of consoles or sometime this gen and some version of dlss is used with the nintendo switch 2 which do you see mm-hmm. as coming out on top um so i actually thought about this question and i just the notes i put down were Listen to my conversation with Brian Heemskirk on a recent Broken Silica because we really get into this. 
Um, and overall, if AMD can just launch an FSR 3 that fully competes with DLSS 3, is open source, which now we know it will be, with inputs for all vendors to add their customizations to make uh, take the best advantage of it, and then it gets native integration into some to a few major engines, like maybe the stuff Microsoft uses, PlayStation uses, and Unreal Engine 5, I think that's enough to make AMD win. You know, I would argue that in that scenario, where it's the default in a bunch of popular game engines and open source with AMD openly inviting NVIDIA to help contribute to it for their graphics cards, I think it's just going to be a situation where it's kind of like FreeSync almost. FreeSync is like in all all monitors now. You don't see, at least I haven't noticed, G-Sync only monitors really anymore. And it seems like half of monitors support G-Sync, and then it became most because it basically became FreeSync. And I would suggest that in this scenario I just outlined, if it's the default in a bunch of engines, open source, what we'll see is... FSR 3.0 support in every game, and then DLSS is still in a few NVIDIA-sponsored games. Um, And I don't think the Switch really changes that. Like, remember, a lot of devs ignore the Switch with most of their games. They they do. They just ignore it. And so even if the devs have to use DLSS for the games they put on Switch, and they might as well put that on desktop, that's not the same as saying, like, all games that go to PlayStation and PC have FSR support, because that's more games. It is, that is more games. And, uh, yeah, I think that'd be a scenario where AMD still wins, but I, I don't think DLSS will ever go away anytime soon, and it'll, it'll probably be in less stuff compared to, like, G-Sync, but G-Sync also just became FreeSync, so, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, that, that's basically what I think, and, uh, you know, if AMD could accomplish this early next year, that'd probably be about winner before the Switch 2 launches, which I don't want to get into another leak. I'm going to have to come out soon, but the, the Switch 2 stuff coming out of here soon. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, uh, no, I was just going to say, and I don't think I, it's necessarily uh, a function of like, if these technologies get adopted in one of the consoles, what will make it dominant on desktop? Like you see all the time still games are NVIDIA sponsored games or I think that's becoming a thing, a little bit of a thing of the past. Uh, versus like the mid to 2010s. But uh, you see like all these NVIDIA sponsor games, even though Radeon is the obviously dominant in the console space right now. Well, actually, well, modern Radeon technology is at least uh, because the Switch is on very outdated hardware. And you would still get a bunch of NVIDIA sponsor games. And I think that's how NVIDIA can still get DLSS integrated into desktop is if they say, hey, will integrate this into your pipeline for free or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. even if S- FSR is this open source thing that, that gets widely adopted. Right, and let's remember, you know, just like Switch 2 fundamentally using DLSS for everything, which kind of, which I think I've said a while ago, it sounds like DLSS Makes will be sense. a fundamental aspect of the Switch 2. Um, what, whatever, you know, <laughs> RDNA 2 and consoles didn't make <clears throat> DLSS die. So why would DLSS and the Switch make FSR die? Or re- I, I don't, it's a factor, but it's not the factor. Uh, Frobos writes in and says, do you think foveated rendering will come to desktop gaming anytime soon? I could see integrated cameras and ultra wide monitors really benefiting from lower resolutions and peripheral vision. What about you? think we will see something like that in the next couple of years. And so just so people don't know, although probably most of our listeners know, foveated rendering is used in the PlayStation VR 2. It's actually a core part of it. 
And for, you know, I leaked to you guys that everyone I talked to that had tried it, it works amazingly. And I actually saw a video from uh, Linus Tech Tips with it where Linus had it hooked up to a TV. And obviously, you know, if you have it on, it's using your eye tracking with little cameras inside of there to render things outside of it directly what you're looking at in a lower resolution. But if you're also projecting that to a TV so your friends can see what you're doing, they can see the blurriness on the outskirts of the screen. And they started pointing out to Linus, who was wearing the headset, hey, it's blurrier here and here. And he said, I'm telling you, I can't see it. <laughs> like anytime he flipped his eye, tried to do it quickly, like sees that flower in the corner of my vision blurry. He said, it looks sharp. Everything just looks sharp. Oh, so that's really cool. It is impressive. And it does seem to be allowing the PlayStation VR 2 with a PS5 that's like, you know, performance around a 6700 or 6700 XD. It's allowing it to perform like a high-end VR system because of that. But I, it's hard for me to see how that, getting to the answer here, it's hard to me to see how that easily comes to monitors in the short term. It's definitely possible, but you need decent cameras, maybe a couple of them at the top of a monitor, looking at your eyes and hyper accurately rendering, right? Things at lower resolutions in the outskirts. Although I got to say that personally, this just seems like something AMD or NVIDIA should push for as part of a premium G-Sync or FreeSync standard. And oh. that with the second that leave that idea leaves my mouth, I'm like, oh shit, NVIDIA is probably doing this with the next gen of G-Sync, where if you want G-Sync, whatever it's called, 3.0, like a sticker, you have to support fo uh, foveated rendering. And if you do, yeah, the monitor costs an extra $100 or you know whatever they end up charging when it first comes out. But guess what? This 5K monitor now gives you 4K frame rates. Yeah, I, I I think it's going to happen at some point, but the problem for foveated rendering does seem inherently harder on a monitor than it does for a, a headset, just because of the headset. You know, your eye is a fixed length away from the monitor and the camera. So, like, if I'm doing this or something while playing a game... And, True, your head's not And fixed. I only have one camera, I don't think that's really feasible. With two, I think it would be feasible to track mm -hmm. you. Ma and so it wouldn't right. be cheap. Yeah, you, you know. need two. Uh, you would need two. I think two would work. Maybe three, but two definitely would be required for foveated rendering on a desktop. And do we really want a scenario though, where like Asus has their version, MSI has their version, Acer has their version, and then devs have to try to program for all these monitor variants? I think this has to be like a part of a next generation of G Sync. Yeah, because like the easiest way to do it is if like you had a standard where like the cameras were built into the monitor or something and like an industry standardized fixed ratio on the monitor or some weird thing like that. But yeah, it sounds difficult. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like something that if AMD wants an advantage, they will push for this standard now before NVIDIA or they can wait two years for NVIDIA to announce Blackwell with foveated rendering support. And then they announce the AMD version's coming. Free, freeviated rendering is what oh, AMD would God, I would hope something. they wouldn't call it that. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I, I think this is something that because of how Frankenstein PC gaming is with so many different vendors, components, mm -hmm. That it's not something you can just throw together like Sony did in VR. And, you know, Sony put a lot of effort into it. So I think you're going to need these companies to come in and force monitors on a standard. 
And I think once they do it, though, it would be totally worth paying an extra hundred dollars or so for a monitor as long as you did not notice to boost your frame rates forever by 30 percent. Do that before you get a new graphics card, because this means every graphics card you get with this monitor for the next 10 years performs better than it should. Yeah, that's true. This March, Jesse is focusing on playing tug of war, fetching sticks and balls all day and night and just watching over the neighborhood but me i'm actually doing a decent amount of testing on equipment for new builds for members of my family and one thing i won't have to watch for when it comes to these builds is where to get reasonably priced windows keys and that's because i use cdkeyoffer.com this piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com and their march sales event spring forward into avoiding paying monopolistic fees for windows 10 windows 11 and microsoft office products this March. Click on the links in the description to help this channel. By the way, seriously, just clicking on those links helps Moore's Law is dead a lot. But what would help even more if you need a Microsoft Office key is to use offer code Broken Silicon to save 25% off all Microsoft products and then Die Shrink to save 3% off everything else on the website because they do also sell Steam games, PlayStation keys, and even gaming gear as well. Use cdkeyoffer.com today. Um, all right, let us then move on to story number two, GPU pricing and stock update. I don't think price drops are over people. So here's a little write up I put together. Uh, I'll be brief. If you thought GPU prices were going to stop plummeting this spring, you're likely going to be proven wrong. On Friday night, Moore's Law is Dead tweeted a picture of bins full of RDNA 3 and Lovelace graphics cards, including 4090s at a distribution point for a major retailer. This source insisted that this was part, this was far more than a month ago. It's not like this place just always has bins full of graphics cards mm -hmm. on the floor and it's not moving. And additionally, I can further confirm today that multiple contacts of ours at Best Buy, Micro Center, and other retailers across the world have sent similar pictures, but of back rooms at individual locations full of graphics cards, which I'm not gonna show all of those. I don't want people to be able to match them up and figure out who the sources are. Overall, it seems like everything in the Lovelace lineup is starting to pile up at multiple retailers and also tons of RTX 3060 through 3070 Ti Ampere cards are now piling up at some locations as well. And even the 7900 XTX is becoming fairly easy to get, although it is still usually selling out within days of coming in stock at most places, but there's usually one there now if you want it. Furthermore, it seems like AMD is planning for aggressive notebook pricing on some SKUs soon, so they're going to probably start pricing a lot of their upcoming stuff to move, even if NVIDIA clearly isn't going to. And uh, yeah, so I must warn people who are listening or watching this that no matter how hard NVIDIA tries, it does not seem like gamers are giving up and accepting higher prices. And it would surprise me if prices didn't go at least a bit lower by the end of this summer. I just think it's going to keep happening, guys. And uh, I will also add that on Newegg, uh, in addition to, you know, people I talked to, other retailers, I at least saw publicly on Newegg that there were multiple 7900 XTXs at MSRP. And for at least a day on like, I think Friday, the XFX Merc 7900 XTX, that was one of those three times eight pin models that hits 3.1 gigahertz and can match a 4090 roughly. It was below MSRP with the coupon. It was like mm -hmm. 980. So that seems sold out now, but I don't know. Like, 
these prices keep going down. Um, and I think I'll, any any slowdown, whether it was because of NVIDIA or not, was partially just because of the Chinese New Year. And now it's over and now there's just a flood. And yeah, I don't know, Dan, what do you think? Well, you know, it just seems like you can't obviously say if this is the average person or not, like because these are people like posting on forums. But there's definitely just been a really strong counter reaction to pricing this generation where like if you see people on Reddit or, and stuff, they're commonly saying things are where I think they're actually getting a little bit out of hand with like like what they're saying, like, well, the 7900 XT would be. May, good maybe at like five hundred fifty dollars or something <laughs> like that and that like between five fifty and six fifty seems to be like a semi common sentiment that people think the seventy nine hundred xt should be priced at so yeah it seems like it, it, it seems like uh they finally went p- too far with pricing and people are <laughs> kind of a, a lot of people are reacting by going even stronger in the other direction rather than just being like fine i'll accept 800 dollars for the 7900 xt and it's like i don't know i i think the 7900 xt or might be only be seen as acceptable by a lot of people at like 700 dollars or below at this point you mm-hmm. know and or, maybe, or I, maybe not acceptable but like exciting yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. It's like, I, 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 yeah, I should say, I don't know if I'll see it. I should expect to see that thing flying off of shelves unless it's at like $700. Because these are really two different things. What I think is, okay, that kind of makes sense. And what I think, what people would actually pay for it. It's kind of like this idea of like, if NVIDIA launched a graphics card this year that was five times stronger than the 4090, but it was 10 grand, no one would buy it. It doesn't matter. Like I understand yeah. like it's price performance is good maybe, but no one's going to pay 10 grand for a card. I think a similar principle um, arrives at the 7900 XT and to a greater extent, the 4070 Ti where it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, like I could have gotten performance at least in this ballpark for a while. And now we're in a recession. I'm just not going to get this unless it's a bargain. It's not the best. Yeah. I, I- and I, I think I, I think a price for like the 7900 XT that's fair is probably like seven. I mean, uh, 750 to 800, 750 mm. is on the low end, probably and like a 4070 Ti would probably like 700, 650, eh, mm-hmm. probably 650. It only but has 12 gigs of RAM, and that really is an that, issue that, in a lot of games. That's yeah. true, especially when we're comparing these cards. If one has. Oh, almost double the RAM, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just don't know if people are going to be excited by those prices at that at this point because they're just annoyed at the market in general. Uh, although you know, if the seventy nine hundred XT hits like seven fifty dollars or eight hundred dollars, I think it should be selling pretty well. Well, yeah, and sales are already picking up. I'm told. Uh, at 800, which it's at, you know, it's at 800 and even AMD's own website is selling it for 850 last time I checked. So they're picking up, it's moving. It's not selling great, but it is picking up there. I can only assume that at 700, it'd be like, oh, okay, here's something 10 to 20% better than a 6950 XT with more RAM than a 6950 XT. Heck, even if I compare it to the 6800 XT, we're looking at something, what is that? 30, 
to 40% better than a 6800 XT with more RAM for about the price the 6800 XT was. All right, yeah. 700 will buy it. But uh, that's really what it's got to be because it's still like, like it's 50% better two years later. So it can't really cost more. Yeah, it, it's just if it hits uh, $800 regularly or all the way down to 700, I just think something like the 7900 XT is back into that is back in that range where like with a new generation of cards, the uh, performance per price uplift you're getting is actually like where people want it to be rather than where, especially in NVIDIA's case where it's been, where you're getting almost no benefit to price performance versus last gen. Which on that note, I do just want to say this. I've seen a lot of people in the comments say things like, you know what? F this. I'm just going to get a 4070 Ti because I know if I don't pay $800 for that now, then the Blackwell one's going to be $1,200 and I'll be mad I didn't get it earlier. Your funeral. That is not what the data suggests. The data suggests prices are going to keep going down, that retailers have too much supply, and that, yeah, like if you buckle and get this now, you're in the minority. Overwhelming majority of people aren't accepting these prices, and it's showing on Newegg already. <laughs> yeah, the concept that if no one buys this generation of graphics cards, NVIDIA is going to double down and increase prices again kind of seems counter to how any reality should work. Now, maybe you could argue in video, it'd be like, all right, I guess people don't want high-end graphics cards anymore, and they only release like I don't know, high mid-range graphics cards next generation or something like that. I don't think that's a realistic scenario, to be clear. But it's like, I think that's the worst counter-reaction you could get. And honestly, if we have two generations where the max is like the 4090s power, whatever. I I, I would rather see see a 4090 for three generations as the... uh, Ceiling to power, uh, to the amount of power we have, if that means price performance is rebalanced right you're saying um you know if nvidia um rage quits the chat because they wanted us to pay more and if we don't they only sell it to data center or something which they kind of did actually a little bit with (laughs) kepler for a while there you know the tie-in was in data center for months or more months and then they finally brought it to desktop when they thought they kind of needed more performance like you're saying, well, if AMD fails and people refuse to buy anything, Jensen may say, well, fine, we're only launching the mid-range and that's the 5090 or whatever, but whatever. Then if the we go two generations yeah. where 4090 performance just becomes 1,000 and then 700, whatever, I'm still not buying anything until we get there. Yeah, and it's just that that sounds better to me than uh, us 2Xing the performance of the 4090 again and everything goes up in price again you know yeah i agree um especially because you know on that argument of of that thing i brought up of like doesn't matter if nvidia launched something like five times better than a 4090 for 10 grand like 4090 still (laughs) crushes basically every game so who cares like what am i you know it'd be it'd be like if it'd be like if the 4090 was 10 times better than it is now but the 3050 was as strong as a 4090. I'd be like, I don't know, maybe just get a 3050. I don't know what you're <laughs> even playing with that much performance. Um, but yeah, I, I, the last thing I, I'd want to add to this is, you know, I got to bring up that video I did. I don't remember when, how many weeks ago about AMD has to go for market share. A- 
even if NVIDIA is being stubborn, we're seeing AMD lower the 7900 XT's price already on their own website. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing tons of cards continue to go down in price from the AMD side. And I'm hearing word that AMD is preparing some sort of aggressive pricing for laptops, whether it's just last gen yet, I don't know, but it seems like they're going to price things to sell. It's because they bought this capacity and they can't just sell it to data center like NVIDIA can. AMD has to go for market share. So I don't know if Jensen's going to rage quit and be stubborn and whine that we won't pay more money. But AMD is going to take the message and go, if not being generous, they might go, okay, we'll lower prices a bit. You know, mm -hmm. and that's worth waiting for. Um, Definitely. But I guess on that note, then let's move on to... Another graphics card launch that points to just how stubborn NVIDIA is right now with story number three. NVIDIA has at least considered $749.99 as the MSRP for the 4070 12 gigabyte. A couple of weeks ago, Moore's Laws did leaked that our sources were notified by NVIDIA's partners to expect an MSRP of $749.99 for the RTX 4070 when it launches in mid-April. Now, it should be noted that the price could be adjusted down from now, and I think it's somewhat likely this will happen. We've seen this happen before with multiple products from GeForce and Radeon in the past, including the 4090, 6600 XT, 5500 XT. I, I, I specifically remember the 6600 XT a year or two ago being told they're considering 400, but they might go lower. Everyone freaked out, and then AMD made it $380. <laughs> so I want to be clear. There is a good chance this will go down from 750 but it's unlikely it's going to be lower than 650. It's almost never more than 10%. Uh, but also in that video, it was leaked that NVIDIA is forcing above MSRP cards. So anything more than 750 or whatever they decide on to get reviewed at a later date than the MSRP models, which points to NVIDIA forcing a narrow pricing range. Uh, so the average 4070 is 10 to 20% cheaper than the average 4070 Ti. Like if the average 4070 was like $770. Well, the average 4070 Ti is actually like 850 to 900. So yeah, it'd be 10% cheaper actually, not just 3% or whatever. Uh, also, there's gonna be a Founders Edition, like the one uh, this channel leaked last year. Uh, and I've also seen a variant of that exact cooler with 4060 Ti on it. So they might use the same cooler for that. Um, and also there will be AIB models that use an eight pin. I leaked that weeks ago. Igor now says the same thing at Igor's Labs. And so yeah. Overall, based on this info and the rumored specs, people should expect a 4070 to launch in about two weeks that basically offers 3080 12 gigabyte performance for about 3080 pricing. So whether that means 650, 700, 730, or 750, this is undoubtedly undoubtedly pricier than most people were hoping for. And yeah, that seems to depress a lot of fans, but also a lot of our sources. I want to point this out at the end here. A lot of my contacts, when this information came down the pipe, were depressed. They were hoping for $600 as the price so they could have some, any sought-after volume seller this generation long-term to make some money in a depressed market. But instead, it seems like NVIDIA is hell-bent on making this as hard as possible for their partners while they just, yeah, like rage quit during a recession and hope people get used to the pricing. Uh, and it's extra depressing for fans and for my partners, because that also means, or for my sources that are partners of NVIDIA, because uh, that also suggests that, I'm sorry, like, if the 4070 Ti is, or if the 4070 non-Ti is even 650 or, 
I don't know. I think the 4060 Ti is just likely to be between 450 and 550, and the 4060 is likely to be between 350 and 450. And I expect those cards to be 3070 Ti and 3060 Ti performance, <laughs> relatively speaking. So I don't know. That, that means basically zero increase in price performance at 3060 Ti and 3070 Ti uh, with zero increase in VRAM. And that's just sad. And that points to NVIDIA's partners having almost no good option to sell in high volume to people this year if this actually comes true. All right. Talked a lot there. What are your thoughts, Dan? I, I mean, that just seems like a really bold game not going for at least decent price performance with the 4070. Uh, considering the 4070 is typically the, or the 70 is typically like one of their biggest volume cards, right? Or, right? Yeah. yeah. Like that's their big volume seller. It's basically the new 60 ever since they got people used to calling what should have been a 60, the 70 since. Yeah. But like, Pascal, I mean, God, that was a 104 die that was cut down. Like the 60 to 70 class of their cards has always been like their, their big volume sellers. And mm -hmm. if it's not 700, I feel like they're just sacrificing this card for no reason. Because if this thing is just barely cheaper than a 4070 Ti, I don't ultimately see the point of it. Like you know? why even launch it? Yeah. Um, I mean, so there, it, this version can use a single eight pin. It doesn't require True. a 16 pin. So it's cheaper for board partners. It also allows them to launch a founder's card, um, that they can sell themselves and keep pricing at 750. And I don't know. I mean, you have to, you know, that, that might just be the decision they make and they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like the 4080. The 4080 was priced terribly. This would be the same situation as the 4080, if not worse. And they shipped barely any 4080s. So yeah. I think it's just they want people to be used to it. Their flagship's over 1500 the 80s over 1200 and you should get used to around $1,000 to get a high-end card. I think that's just... And, and so that means that any lower you get than the 4070 Ti which they consider the high end, I guess, even though I'd say that's mid-range, really. Mm. Um, well, it doesn't matter. Too bad. Like, we want you to get used to this pricing. Yeah, I, I mean, that seems to be the goal. It's just, I, I just think it's failing this generation because nobody seems to be buying anything. <laughs> and I guess you can say the 4070 Ti, it looks like it's still holding its MSRP relatively well, even selling above it still, but if you hold out a little longer for the 4070 Ti, there's no reason to really specifically seek at, seek the 4070 when that comes out or the 4070 Ti when Ampere exists or when RDNA 2 also exists. Um, when you can get a 6950 XT for 700, that is exactly. the same performance with more RAM. Yeah, there's no reason to specifically seek out either of these cards to so just get a 6950 XT, get a 6800 uh, for what are those now? Like 450 to yeah. 500, like the 6800 non XT 16 gigabyte. Yeah, you can get them for under $500 a lot of the time. And let me think, like the 4070 Ti is stronger, but it actually has less RAM. And I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd ask what resolution are you gaming at? If it's below 1080p, that thing's going to crush it. 
Well, yeah, obviously, if you're going for a 6800, you're going to be sacrificing some performance. But I don't know if you're saving that much money, it might be worth it <laughs> to yeah. some people. Um, but yeah, I, all I'm saying is there's just no reason to seek out these cards because you could have already gotten this level of performance for two years now. Uh, the pricing is just a bit cheaper than it used to be. And these, the 70 cards are just what should be their val- uh, high volume uh, units aren't going to be high volume because they're insisting on trying to force the price up when people don't want it. Mm-hmm. And and I just want to be clear, if the 4070 12 gigabyte is 650 or more, which it seems almost 100% it's going to be, yeah. then I would say that the 4060 Ti, I would be floored if that thing is less than 450, you know? <laughs> And I would be floored if the 4068 gigabyte is less than four, than less than 300. But really, if you think about it, the rumors right now, and considering the 70 uses a cut down 104 die, this is almost assuredly true. The rumors are right now that the 4060 Ti is just a pushed 106 die. So that's mm-hmm. the 4070 laptop edition, basically. That's that's a 180 millimeter squared die. I mean, if they're, and and then that means 107 for the 4060 potentially, which that might be, you know, know, that's like, I think a 150 millimeter squared die. I forgot I leaked it. (laughs) I think it's about 150. You know, 150 millimeter squared, even at double the die cost, you're you're still looking at costs cheaper than a 3060 because it's at eight gigs of RAM instead of 12. So this thing, the only way that 4060 would be interesting with eight gigabytes is at 300. Mm-hmm. Which, if it was, I do think it would sell well. Like, yeah, it would. And I think the 4060 Ti would sell well if it's at 400. But any more than that, and 8 gigabytes, is it's low-end, guys. So uh, I would just hope no one is interested in this. Like, there's too many games now showing issues. It It is a problem. <laughs> like, 4 gigabytes is the bottom of entry. 6 gigabytes is the bottom of low-end. And there are games that, like, are having trouble even running 4k with eight gigabytes this is this is low-end stuff and if they actually try to do this i just don't know how they think they'll get away with it but it's worth remembering the reason they might do all of this is they might say we have an efficiency advantage we're just going to send everything to data center and laptop have small volume for desktop and it's a recession anyway so people are why would we get in a price war during a recession they might be doing this so that blackwell comes out doubles performance and then they're like, oh, $1,200 for the 5080, but it's, you know, 50% better than a 4090. Isn't that, you know, I think that's what they're trying to get people used to because they're still stuck with monolithic designs and three nanometers can be crazy expensive. And I think yeah. they might realize they have to get people used to these prices for Blackwell. Uh, yeah, you might be right. <laughs> it's depressing. It's just an idea I want to throw out there is... It's a recession. They may say if there is ever a time to be greedy and not care about sales, it's during a recession. And let's just see if we can get people used to this pricing for Blackwell because AMD is going to have an advantage with chiplets and we just need to make them willing to pay that much. Eh, I mean, if it coincides with the recession correctly, I mean, I guess maybe two years from now, people will have more money in their pockets. They'll be like, screw it, I'll spend 1200 bucks." But yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully more pe- people have more money in their pockets two years from now. But yeah, hopefully they don't. Yeah, hopefully they they don't not have more money. They don't accept this. Yes. 
I don't know if I made that any clearer with that jumbled wording I just said. So let's just move on here to story number four. Um, so this is just the story for NVIDIA's uh, GTC announcement. Um, here's the write-up. Wow, GTC was boring for gamers. Honestly, the most interesting announcement on that day was probably that of the RTX 4000 ADA GPU. It is a card that will offer 20 gigabytes of GDDR6 over a 160-bit bus. It is based on the Lovelace 8104 die that is cut down to 6,144 CUDA cores, and it is low profile. This 20 gigabyte 6,144 CUDA core die Consume 70 watts, and it's basically then a low-profile 20-gigabyte RTX 3070 Ti, which I saw some people ask me, why are they launching this? And I have an answer, so I want to talk about that. <laughs> Tons of professionals I've talked to over the past year have been pissed that NVIDIA has basically abandoned the small form factor professional market. For years now, guys, there's always been some little no six-pin required little low-profile card that they can put into like little Lenovo workstations to upgrade and with uh ampere nvidia basically didn't offer them anything uh a2000 existed on paper but nvidia seemingly shipped all of those to miners until about six months ago <laughs> and that was a low-end card they weren't looking for that so there's a lot of professionals with turing era or older low profile cards pulling their hair out right now and this is nvidia's answer but anyways besides that a low-profile card that would allow you to basically make a barely high-end micro-gaming PC if you have the money for it. NVIDIA talked about Grace doubling AMD and Intel server performance, so we'll have to see that actually tested. Uh, they are using AI to help PSMC with the lithography. Uh, they have an AI foundation, and they have exclusive Adobe AI features coming to those with NVIDIA graphics cards. And they talked about Hopper. But I don't think any of that is really that interesting to gamers overall. All I would highlight outside of the uh, RTX 4000 then is that to me, it seems like NVIDIA is legitimately making some interesting plays in AI to make money right now. I know people have always said they are an AI company for like the past five years, but from what I've seen, the truth is they failed to capture remotely as much self-driving <laughs> market share as they were hoping to capture. But when I see them help TSMC with a like get you know like hard designs for stuff and move forward with lithography faster i go oh that's something that i can see people wanting if it works and, and the same goes for like custom ai features in adobe just further cementing that creators use nvidia so that's that was my big takeaways i saw actual practical advantages nvidia was showing off for their ai stuff this year and uh yeah oh, i don't know yeah. dan any, you have any thoughts I mean, that feels like a, what's kind of been the thing with AI for almost its entire existence until really this year is that it's interesting uh, for research applications, but it doesn't seem to have broken out of that to any major degree up until relatively recently, mm -hmm. which I mean, if they're using it for lithography now, well, that's <laughs> that's a pretty big industry. Yeah, don't. Don't show me like some kind of chat feature that looks wonky and doesn't work. Don't show me self-driving when everyone seems to just be making their own chips, or at least most of the market does, the biggest players do. Yeah, but like custom features in Adobe, like practical uses for TSMC that will make them buddy up to NVIDIA maybe a bit more. 
Okay, this is all right. NVIDIA, actually, if I was a shareholder, I'd be like, okay, maybe it's time we can kind of start calling them an AI company, not mm-hmm. just someone who wants to be an AI company. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Did you have anything else to say about this? Uh, no. Okay. Well, let us then move on to story number five. Roger Kadori pushed out of Intel, Intel's Arc lineup on life support. Here's the write-up. Last week, Roger Kadori left Intel, although in reality, he was fired, guys. That's right. This writer leaked an internal email showing that Intel had nothing to say about Roger leaving, basically, and was unceremoniously left uh, his departure's notification at the bottom of a long email announcing other changes in management. Furthermore, I can confirm that the people I've talked to insist Raja was on borrowed time. He was almost assuredly looking for a new job for months. And uh, yeah, for those who didn't see that um, part of the video from me, like (laughs) usually someone who like got to like the head of an entire wing of Intel would have an email come out saying with, you know, we are saddened to see Raja Kadori leave. He was an asset to this company. You know, he'll be replaced by this person. That didn't happen. And then like later in the week, they'd, they'd announce it again in addition to all of the other mm-hmm. changes in management that week. That didn't happen. He was the bottom of multiple paragraphs and announcements. And they said with mixed emotions, him and someone else are leaving. Almost like one person they miss, the other they don't. And um, in fact, they haven't even named, to my knowledge, who's going to replace him. Almost like they don't need to replace Roger Kadori. Almost like Ark doesn't need a leader right now. And anyways, moving forward in that video, I also leaked some updates to Ark's roadmap. Currently, it seems like an Alchemist refresh may happen later this year. But even if Al- Intel does call it Alchemist Plus, it's not the plus that I know that they were considering launching a year ago. Like... It's going to be maybe new steppings with minor tweaks and higher clocks. It's not going to be a true plus, even though they might call it Alchemist Plus. Um, and that's going to hinge on if they can get rid of Alchemist in large numbers and think there's any chance they could sell <laughs> a 10 to 20% Alchemist for any profitable amount of money, which I find doubtful. Then there's also Battle Mage. It seems like it's likely just a single 12 gigabyte low-end eye launching over a year from now. On TSMC 4 nanometer. Remember, they'd be using 4 nanometer when NVIDIA and AMD are launching 3 nanometer products. Um, although I will say there's a narrow chance for a high-end offering, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't sound good. And Celestial is now relegated to a single low-end die launching in the first half of 2026. When I say low-end, I mean around 180 millimeters squared. There is no progress being made on a high-end Celestial. I don't know what anyone else is getting their information from that says there is. There isn't. And uh, the interesting thing, though, Druid still has three dies right now um, in development. And the cutoff for when you'd want to stop spending money on that is this year. So to me, it seems like Intel is still deciding if they want to entirely axe most of the progress they've made with dedicated graphics <laughs> per, you know, development. Mm-hmm. And I think they're waiting to have a better indication on if Battle Mage and Celestial are going to faceplant. They think they will later this year. They may cancel Druid. If they don't, it seems like it's going to be like one low-end die every two years until they reboot Arc, hopefully with a new name, because that name means nothing now with the Druid stuff they're working on. And so, yeah. In summary, I have one closer on this. Uh, five months ago, this channel leaked that the desktop Arc uh, was effectively canceled for the foreseeable future. And five months later, Alchemist is a flop. AXG is dead. Raja has been fired. 
And it seems like at best, we're going to get low-end offerings until 2027. You were warned five months ago. You will continue to be warned by this channel that you might be wasting money if you buy broken cards with a dubious future of support. You've been warned. (laughs) All right. That was a lot. Sorry, Dan. Go on. Oh, you know, if... I guess if this timeline doesn't seem super great to me, but I guess if they can get an actual... uh, an actual full release with three dies have drew it out by 2027. Maybe there's still time for maybe uh, Intel can resurrect their graphics cards. Although I agree, they probably should just completely rebrand after Celestial. If really all we get is just two low to mid range dies uh, out of those four years <laughs> or out of those two generations, I should say. But, I mean, if Druid comes out in 2027 and it doesn't appear that they've axed the three dies, eh, I I guess they're still somewhat invested in it, even if it's only somewhat in the distant future. I really don't know what else to say. I mean, the best it seems like the best case scenario we're hoping for is they try to launch a lower high-end card over a year from now, but on a node that's behind NVIDIA and AMD... And then basically they'll have nothing. Even if they launch a high-end battle mage in 2024, they'll have nothing high-end for at least three years. So yeah, I I don't know. What I'm what I'm hoping for, and I think this is something people just some people don't get. I don't want Intel to go out of business, and I don't want their entire. I don't want the prospects of a third competitor, a third decent competitor in graphics, to be completely lost. The people rooting for some unprofitable high-end die to keep coming out every year is how you get no Intel graphics cards forever because they'll just run the company into the ground. It'll become, you know, a hatchet job on every on every division where they remove everything they don't need. And the only way I see them avoiding that at this point is if they launch like a single, you know, 150-watt card, 75 to 150-watt lineup based on a low-end die every year so they can get their drivers perfect when they have the money again in four years, which they might, if Diamond Rapids and Granite Rapids turn out well, to actually go for a good launch. But the people rooting for like all of these high-end things, you're just, I don't know, you just don't have sources, you don't see the writing on the wall. You're rooting for Intel to go out of business. Yeah, <laughs> and you're, it's just the goal now needs to be keep the their graphics cards on life support, like you said, until they can actually release a full-throated launch where they just need to completely rebrand their graphics cards and completely relaunch it. So, you know, because I guess at this point, um, it doesn't really matter when the good lineup from them actually comes out because uh, it doesn't really matter when the good lineup from them comes out because you're just going to, (laughs) they need to do a complete rebadge i mean rebranding of their graphics anyways right and i keep i keep trying to make this clear to people like the a770 uses a die slightly bigger than a 3070 ti and has double the ram i mean we know from evga's rage quit what these cards cost to make in addition to leaks from gamers nexus and Mm -hmm. me the 4070 or the 3070 i believe the 3070 was basically breaking even at like 350 to 400 so 
yeah, for most of its life, it sold for six hundred. They're making buco delores on the thirty seventy. <laughs> they didn't care. But now go from Samsung eight nanometer, which I've actually got more information recently about this. Like Nvidia got a deal on Samsung eight nanometer, and now move to TSMC six nanometer, which costs more, double the RAM. There's no way the A seven seventy profits below like three hundred or something. And if that's true, which it is, I mean. I don't know what you, I don't know if you guys get this. They are their their companies dying because they because of that. Mm-hmm. And if you ask them to launch a high-end 4 nanometer die next to high-end Blackwell 3 nanometer and RDNA 4, you're asking them to do something again that can't be profitable. But AMD and Nvidia uh are basically ignoring low end. I can totally believe if they get their drivers going, they do a way better job with a single die with Blackwell. I mean, with a uh, battle mage that they can get something out late next year. That's like a 150 to 200 watt card. That's $300 is 12 gigabytes, less than 16. Actually, then, you know, that AMD and NVIDIA aren't bothering to compete with and actually can make a small profit and keep their driver team on life support. But everything else, you're just rooting for this company to go out of business. Yeah. And for that to be their strategy, I do feel like their cards I don't know, probably need to be like 250 or lower, though, because I I, I guess we'll see how this generation shakes out. But I, I do feel like true. I, I do think there has to be some offerings that get to like three hundred dollars. Maybe that's too optimistic. but <laughs> Right. Well, it's it's plausible, you know, with um, Navi 33 already. Yeah a cut down mobile variant of it's performing like a 3060 or something or better than a 3060. So like, think about that. Like that's a 200 millimeter, I think 204 millimeter square die that AMD has right now on six nanometer, same node as the a seven seventy, and it outperforms it. It's half the die size at higher performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like again, you hit the, the, the true Intel haters are rooting for them to make decisions that make them go out of business. Um, unlike the products they might launch in our that we will now discuss in story number six. This podcast is brought to you by Bliss. Bliss makes your music library more browsable, searchable, playable, and beautiful, whichever music player you use. If you're somebody with a large music library and all of your files have different naming systems, they don't maybe have the album art correctly applied to half of them, and it's just, well, it's just hard to move them between different folders and find what you're looking for, especially if you're switching between one music app to another, Bliss can really help you out. So if you're interested in using something that does all of the hard work organizing your music collection for you check out bliss in the description today uh raptor lake refresh could keep competitiveness with zen 4 this fall according to the recently from moore's laws dead recently moore's laws dead leaked some key details about raptor lake r or raptor lake refresh that point to it possibly being far more notable and exciting than I think a lot of people are expecting. Firstly, stating the obvious, Intel is currently planning a full Raptor Lake refresh in quarter three or four of this year. Second, Intel is briefing some partners already that they have a notable multi-threading performance increase coming to desktop this fall, and they don't seem to be indicating to their partners that it's Meteor Lake. Third, if Intel were to get DLVR working, which is something that was lasered off, confirmed by Asus in Raptor Lake, 
it's plausible they could budget another 20% power to a hypothetical i9-14900K, and then that that could be used for 10 to 20% higher sustained boost clocks. And so what does this all add up to? It's not confirmed yet. Expect more leaks out of this channel about it in the next month or two. But it is entirely believable to me now that through better binning, a more mature node, enabling DLVR, and probably telling people to get DDR5-8400 for the i9-14900K, that Intel could plausibly launch an i9 later this year that they'll brand as 14th gen that adds 1% to 5% in single threading and 10 to 20% performance in multi-threading over the 13900KS, while even possibly simultaneously slightly reducing power. And that would also be important because that means they could launch a new Raptor Lake mobile generation that is well, it's mobile, so efficiency is performance. They could just boost performance in mobile by 20% before Meteor Lake comes out against Phoenix and Strix. And uh, yeah, I think this is a very important development because it should allow Intel to market a slightly to multi-threading over Zen 4 that's pretty firm now, not disputed, and argue that they're tying AMD and gaming. Although I still would hesitate to say they'll win gaming when all of the recent game releases or almost all of them, like Flight Simulator that actually needs the performance or something, they're showing way bigger gains through AMD than just mm -hmm. clock speeds. Most of Intel's wins with Raptor Lake are older or broken engines. So I would just point that I still think long-term Zen 4 X3D is going to prove to be way better at gaming. But just like we saw with the 5800 X3D versus a lot of Intel products from its time. but um. Yeah, I don't know, Dan. What'd you think about this? Yeah, it sounds honestly like, well, I, I guess I don't know when Meteor Lake will come out, but it seems like Meteor Lake on desktop would kind of be a bust. And I, I don't know this, at least for a suite of, for like a, a suite of CPUs coming out, this sounds like a better outcome than these, what was six big core Meteor Lake probably. Where yeah, that might be better at gaming, but will probably fall flat in everything else. Yeah, I mean, it would be yeah. Well, and Meteor Lake will have to see. It just matters what clock speeds they get to. But I, I've said for a while it's going to be lower than Raptor Lake, and mm -hmm. so I think unless they can get Meteor Lake to like five point two gigahertz, it's it's not going to notably increase gaming performance. And if it's not. What's the point in really launching that on desktop if they can bring out a Raptor like this 20% better? I don't really see the point. It'll be way better for Notebook, but, you know. Yeah, Meteor Lake sounds like Tiger Lake 2.0, kind of. So It does. They need a, you need to have an inter interim thing, especially with AMD seeming to really take the market in every segment uh, 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 with their non-X and X3D variants. A, a, Intel needs to do something more than, you know, just launch a more power hungry, slightly faster clock uh, i9 like what they have right now. <laughs> Would you agree that they should call it 14th gen, like not 13990KS? If they can get this performance increase, I think it's fair to call it something else. Like, it, it, sure, I guess it's the same architecture, but I don't know, to the end user, that's functionally a kind of a different architecture. I, I mean, it's not a significant increase in performance, but if we're going back to the the TikTok model that Intel used to have like ten years ago, I don't know. That's definitely a a, a talk in the TikTok. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it would give them a chance to reevaluate their lineup, clear the channel, and start over where they need to. Like, I don't know where Zenfor prices are going to go, but I, I, everything I'm seeing is like, look, guys. And in fact, I, I was just sent this a couple of days ago uh, over the weekend. Um, that I mean, AMD's margins seem to be like there's distributors telling me like AMD's margins are like 20, 30 percent higher than <laughs> Intel right now on desktop. AMD is just getting, and meanwhile, AMD is just getting rid of the yields that won't work in Genoa. So <laughs> they're going to keep things priced where they need to be to sell. Probably not a cent less, but I don't think it's entirely ridiculous to think the 7950X could be 500 bucks, 900X, 400. So, you know, everything and then everything down the stack, just another 20% cheaper. And I think in, Intel needs this. They need something 20% better and they need to be able to price it like, you know, i9 600 i7 450 you know i5 350 or 300 because and they need to try to more closely make one of their models like maybe an i7 14700ks or something right next to the 7800x 3d they they need that i think mm-hmm. um but yeah so i guess uh this is and, and again you know most importantly that it might allow them to uh have a notebook generation 20% better, which for sure they need against Phoenix um, and Dragon Range. But I think that's about all we have to say about that. So let me then move on to a reader mail from Lola Res Gamer, which will lead into story number seven. Lola Res Gamer asks, what are your thoughts on the passing of Gordon Moore? And I want to go to you first, Dan, but first let me just read this right up here from PC Gamer. Gordon Moore, who co-founded Intel with Robert Noyce in 1968, died on Friday at the age of 94. The death was reported by Moore's Charitable Foundation and Intel itself, which say that the scientist and former executive died peacefully while surrounded by his family at his home in Hawaii. Moore was Intel CEO from 79 until 87. He continued to chair Intel's board until 1997 and retired from the board altogether in 2006. And quoting here, Gordon Moore defined the technology industry through his insight and vision, said the current Intel CEO, Pat Gelsinger. He was instrumental in revealing the power of transistors and inspired technologists and entrepreneurs across the decades. Even those who aren't aware of Moore's history at Intel will likely know his name from Moore's Law, which refers to his famous 1965 prediction that the number of transistors and integrated circuits would grow exponentially doubling every year for 10 years. And in 1975, 10 years later, Moore dropped that rate of his prediction to every two years. And although its relevance today is debatable, many argue it has roughly held true. Uh, About what Moore learned from his famous prediction, his foundation's obituary opened in a uh, recounts a joke he made in 2015. Moore in 2015 said, well, once I made a successful prediction, I avoided making another one. Uh, Moore is survived by his wife, Betty, sons, Kenneth and Stephen and four grandchildren. So, yeah, I mean, this just dropped Friday after I was done working. I mean, what are your thoughts, Dan? Well, I I mean, obviously, he (laughs) he's a person that casts a very long shadow, even if he hasn't really been in the industry for really the majority of my lifetime, honestly, because he Mm -hmm. was what uh, he was an emeritus board member since like 1997 mm-hmm. uh but you know this channel is indirectly named after him <laughs> and uh it, you know uh, he's a huge titan in the industry he founded intel which is 
been arguably the most relevant semiconductor uh manu- I mean the most relevant semiconductor company for four plus decades. And uh yeah, I, I mean I think his like whole Moore's Law thing is funny that being the thing he's most well known for, because reading about it, it kind of seems like it was turned into a thing by people other than him. Where it was like, I don't know, I think for 10 years, this is going to be, it's going to double every year. And then he said in 19, uh, 10 years later, eh, half it. And that for some <laughs> reason became Moore's Law, when in reality it was like Moore's back of the napkin math almost like it's not really a lot based on what happened 20 years ago it's it's more moore's uh heuristic than moore's law but sure yeah yeah it's funny you say that because i i wrote down a similar thought like it's funny for me the guy was right not about a law but he and this article say an estimate or a prediction for a decade and then he revised it. So that means it, it was not a law. Like he himself said a decade later, never mind, it's this. And uh, that's not the only thing he did. Like he founded <laughs> Intel and did all of this stuff. And, you know, Gordon was a brilliant man who made an ins- absurdly huge impact on the semiconductor industry. And that's how I remember him. And that's why this channel is called Moore's Law is Dead, because. And you've, I've made this spiel many times. I cannot believe how many people talk about that when there's so many other ways to increase performance. And the guy who made that heuristic, you said himself, himself says is not uh, true anymore. Decades yeah. ago, he said it wasn't true. And this industry is more than just trying to find through performance through node shrinks. And he was more than just that prediction. That was like really a f- should have been a footnote and it's all people obsessed about but you know his impact on the industry will be felt forever. conceivably forever <laughs> you know and that's what he needs to be remembered as the person who built intel into what it is which whatever you think about intel now it it, it was you know foundational for the american and western technological and world technological industries and um you know that's what we i remember him for is Founding modern semiconductors, uh, not for a prediction he himself said wasn't true in the 70s. Yeah. Well, rest in peace, Gordon Moore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he seems je- like, at least from what we're seeing right now, like he was a pretty nice, great guy as well. So it's unfortunate, but he lived a long life. So um, yeah. it seems like a story that ended well for him, you know, as well as it can <laughs> end. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all hope to make it to 94, so. Well, depending on your outlook. <laughs> but. Yeah, but that's, there's a few ways I could dovetail that <laughs> conversation. I think, no, I think, let's just leave it at, uh, leave it at that. Okay, all right, then that is all for the stories. Let us then move to the final wrap-up. These are the stories that we don't believe deserve a full discussion, but are notable enough to talk about. Um, this was going to be a major story, but there was enough news by the end of the two week cycle that I felt it should just be a footnote. Uh, Phoenix was delayed a month, so it's April now. Well, that's not good. Uh, not a huge delay, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have much to say about it. Uh, I'm not surprised 
And it seems like AMD indicated that they just want to make sure they don't do a silly paper launch with unfinished drivers that they have. They want it to be a big full launch with the best drivers it can have. Hopefully this points to upgrades to RDNA 3's performance, but um, I actually won't comment on that until I get to a leak about that in the next couple of weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, this isn't in the uh, r- wrap-up, but I also want to point out, uh, I, I know that there's been someone circulating on Twitter talking about a Phoenix variant having two Zen 4 cores and four Zen 4C cores. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's been people asking me what I think about that, and I said, haven't I acknowledged that I misread the cache from meaning four big Zen 4 cores to meaning two Zen 4 cores and four Zen 4C cores in December? So I'm just <laughs> acknowledging that again. Yeah, what I'm seeing is what I expect. I think two Zen 4 cores, two, uh, four Zen 4C cores and Little Phoenix, which we were the first to leak that there was a Little Phoenix at least. Um, and that... Yeah, I guess some stuff's emerging now that I was hoping to be the first to leak, though, which is that doesn't there's going to be upgrades to scheduling. I know I you'll probably remember I talked to you about that a few days ago, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be some big thing needed. And if you guys listen to the Broken Silicon with Hardware and Box, I actually brought up to him, to Steve, I don't really see why you need a big upgrade to the scheduler. Like Zen 4C is Zen 4. It just has less cash. Yeah. And it clocks lower. So they already dynamically pick cores based on clock speed. So you'd already pick the best core based on clock speed. And if these are always clocked lower, I I don't even know really what upgrades are needed. Although someone told me some upgrades to the scheduler are coming for it, but it, they're very minor. Um were you going to say something? Oh, uh, well, I was going to say well, uh leave it to AMD to somehow screw up a uh, uh, <laughs> the software end on a launch. <laughs> but only to fix it a few months later. Well, let's hope they avoid it this time, which I believe Little Phoenix is launching. I've heard later, like second half, maybe quarter Mm -hmm. three or four this year. So they have time, Dan, you know, before you get the uh, AMD fans all mad at us. But um, all right, let's move on to this here. There was a PS4 5 Pro rumor circulating um, that which he this person called exclusive that a PS5 Pro is launching in late 2024. Uh, I actually went on Sacred Symbols recently to discuss this uh, because Colin noted that his leak w- read like my leak from over a year ago from top to bottom. <laughs> so I'm just acknowledging I leaked by end of 2024, you know, PlayStation 5 Pro and the options. And there's no specifics in that leak that I saw as well. So, yep, still possibly true. I'm actually working on some console leaks right now, though. I guess I'll just say... Just it's a recession and don't assume all of these companies want to go for expensive stuff just because they're thinking yeah. about doing it. But for sure, PlayStation 5 Slim this year, Switch 2 next year, uh, Xbox refreshes seem to be coming. So let's just leave it at that for now before, you know, I confirm something I haven't quadruple checked yet. Um, OK, also the <laughs> Dan, the two gigabyte RX 6300 was uh, launched. Um, I mean, I guess that's my next card, right? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm mentioning it because it exists. It is a 32-bit cut down 6500 XT to 8 to 10 compute units, which I believe that means vendors can decide to give it 8 or 10 compute units and call it a 6300. I have nothing to say about this card. This thing is, 
I, I think I decided in my like 6500 XT slash 3050 review that anything below a 1650, I hate kind of like we're just too weak at this point, unless you're talking about an APU where you just accept 720p. This is firmly in that territory of not interesting to me. I, I'm more than anything, I'm just kind of surprised this actually exists at all. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, I guess I mentioned it earlier. Also, the 4060 slash 4060 Ti cooler was leaked. It said 4060 Ti in the picture. And uh, surprise, it looks exactly like the 4070 cooler I leaked. And I mm. expect, you know, that that's what we're going to see them use for a few different designs. Um, so there you go to the people that say I leak fake coolers. Same source as the Titan, everybody. Um, and let's see. And Invi- uh, this was something that popped up today, Dan. So NVIDIA said cryptocurrency adds nothing useful to society. Mm. I just thought this was so ridiculous because like two years ago, they were talking about how blockchain would change our lives. Well, uh, yeah, they. <laughs> it's not useful to society because uh, they can't sell pallets of their cards to miners anymore, Tom. I know. And again, um, you know, actually, as we're speaking, it seems like Bitcoin is starting a new bull, bull run. I am not going to get into it. I don't think most people understand the actual point of Bitcoin, and it is not to put blockchain on every scammy looking website. And so when they, you know, were talking about blockchain, I was annoyed and now I'm annoyed. They're saying, well, you know, it's not really that important when they used it to defend their actions a couple of years ago. But there you go. Um, yeah, this is interesting. A 12 and four, 24 gigabyte DDR5 sticks are launching. Hmm. Well, I guess that. Because DDR5 are, allows are... for these capacities and previous mm. gens do not. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I guess the paradigm is always, uh, that people have d- been doing is multiples of 16 or for a while, but. I, I, I forgot the options. exact name, but it's like like a binary limit or something, whereas mm-hmm. DDR5 does not have that. I kind of like this because I'm going to say, at least short term, I think 24 gigabytes of DDR5 is enough for games. You get that in a 16 gig card, that's probably perfect. I think most games are going to be built with 16 gigs in mind and benefits up to 64 gigabytes, but this is maybe enough to scrape by with it. I would just want it to be linearly cheaper. If you're doing a pure gaming build, I could get behind 24 gigabytes. Yeah, I mean, it allows people for it gives people, you know, more options to customize rather than right now. You're pretty much stuck with either getting 16 or 32 gigs or if you're building a new system, you should probably just be getting 32 gigs without that option available because your other other option would be what 16 gigs with a third stick and single channel, which is Mm -hmm. not great. Uh, well, yeah, right. If you make 24 gigabytes that way. Yeah. And I think 48 gigabytes might be an interesting option because I think devs are going to build games to work decently on 16 gigabytes to maybe scrape by on eight <laughs> somehow if you're in like the lowest resolution stuttering and really for 32 gigs. I think really devs are going to build their stuff. Do it. Sorry, my dog's under the table. Out of there. <laughs> Um, I don't, I, you know, you don't want to have there be any chance she decides it'd be funny to roll over on top of the, uh, cables behind the PC and turn this off while we're talking. That'd be pretty cool. Go away, Jesse. 
Um, but yeah, so, and she's now looking back at me confused, like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think 48 gigabytes though would be interesting because if I think most devs are going to build their games for 32 gigabytes, you're leaving room for inefficiencies. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. background tasks. So, uh, let me see here. I, I don't know if there's been updates on this since I added this, uh, to the, uh, list a couple of days ago, but it seems like in Resident Evil 4, AMD graphics cards seem to perform ridiculously well relative to NVIDIA with the low levels of ray tracing it has. Mm-hmm. Like both RDNA 2 and RDNA 3. Yeah, they definitely seem to. <laughs> RE4. If there's been like an update in the past day, but it's over the weekend, so probably not. I think that's just another example, kind of like a few other recent releases of, hey, if you don't push ray tracing all the way up and you actually don't program the game to nerf amd performance it's actually closer to nvidia than you think i am frustrated they don't show the 4090 on this chart though yeah i'm sure it wins but you know it's annoying i mean the 4090 is in the same class of performance as these so it should be there but yeah um all right and final thing in the wrap-up uh mobile alder lake motherboards i i don't know that i have anything to say about this but i just thought it was interesting uh was it airing uh e-r-y-i-n-g is launching motherboards with mobile alder lake processors with bold just ddr5 dims and pcie slots for graphics cards i don't know who this would be recommended to it seems like it's just on aliexpress but again i don't know that's interesting actually is there an itx version there is so it almost makes you wonder if this would make sense for an ITX build. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. There, there, there's all these weird like companies that make these really weird niche products that only sell on Alibaba for some reason. But yeah, like you know, like the the laptop versions of a thirty seventy, but a desktop card. Yeah, I, I you I, I bet some Chinese company just buys a bunch of them on wholesale and. It's like, well, we can make a kind of cheap desktop card, and you know that's the only way you can get this card. <laughs> well, yeah, I've talked to a couple of them. Maybe one will send me one one of these days for testing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, what I've gathered talking to them and also just googling behind the scenes is, yeah, they're they're like a small startup of like ten to twenty people usually <laughs> that has their own tiny test lab, and they're just opportunistic. They're like, hey, I got a guy who can get us a thousand laptop 3070 <laughs> dies for a bargain price. And they get them, put them in a desktop t- card, validate it, and then they try to get into the market and make a small profit in a way that AIBs, existing AIBs who are beholden to NVIDIA to follow certain rules on what they launch, they aren't. And they're like, hey, look at this thing we just launched because we mm-hmm. can. <laughs> so that, that's what's going on with all of them. And I assume that's what's going on with this. Um, but all right, let us now get to the final reader mails. I should writes in and he says, hi, Tom, what are the odds that some dragon range laptops would just have an LGA socket? Some laptops um, have used this in the past. I don't really see a downside beyond, of course, a slight addition of thickness to the laptop. Uh, Zero, because then they're not dragon range. (laughs) Might we see socketed AMD or or Intel laptops from recent generations? Yeah, but that's not Dragon Range. Mm-hmm. That that's a different binning, a different package to go to a different BGA socket. So there's just a difference. Um, TMC Payton writes in and says, "Howdy, 
How will Intel avoid this disaster that was KB Lake X with their low core count Fishhawk Falls chips? The parallels in reduced memory channels, PCIe lanes, and a shared socket could cause problems when it comes to motherboards, um, though I guess I'm more optimistic than before. Thanks. Dan, do you remember KB Lake X? Honestly, I don't. I mean, during the Sky Lake X, Cascade Lake X era, they just took KB Lake and put it on a different package so it fit in the big HEDT mm-hmm. socket. But because it was KB Lake, it just had like 16 PCIe lanes for the graphics card. And if you put that in an HEDT motherboard that to my memory was like 28 or 32 PCIe lanes for the low end models of X and up to, I think, 44 PCIe lanes for the top or something, you'd be dealing with a third the PCIe lanes and half the board wouldn't work, including USB ports. (laughs) (laughs) So how will they avoid this? Well, my understanding is there's like half the IO, not a third or a fourth. So easy. It'd be like, oh, half the SSDs run at times two instead of times four for NVMe. And if you populate this, that USB doesn't work. But it won't be like before where it's like, Literally half of the slots don't work now. So I, I don't see it as as much of an issue. That's kind of an insane compromise they made on KB like uh, I, I compromise sounds a bit uh generous characterizing or it's just like, well, this just doesn't really work. <laughs> I don't really see platform. why they did that either. I don't either. That makes no sense to me. If they had a way of giving you like back then, you know, a quad core i7 with eight threads, but then it had like double the PCIe lanes. Okay, there's a niche for that. Or now, you know, or, or, or like now, if they launched a version of Raptor Lake refresh to HEDT, but then it had the same amount of PCIe lanes. Oh, I could see tons of people going for that. <laughs> but that's not what it is, and that's not what it was. So I don't know what the point of that is, really. And that's not what Sapphire Rapids, the low-end version of it is. Like, I think what you're going to see is there will be some ITX and micro ATX boards that are still expensive, but don't really need the extra lanes to populate everything. And there will be some budget ATX boards like that as well. And then there will just be boards where they're like, hey, this is really meant for the top end one. You put this in here, half of the MVME slots run at half speed, but there's still seven slots. And actually, I could see that still being interesting to some people because I believe I mean, I leaked it first. I don't even remember, but I believe Sapphire Rapids is like 60 PCIe Gen 5 lanes or something. And if that's true, I mean, you still got room for still using times two NVMe. And there might be some people where they're like, yeah, I only need a couple of them to be the fastest speed and the others can all be slower for more capacity. So I I, I don't see mm-hmm. it the same way as KB Lake X. Um, the Eternal Dreamers writes in and says, I got into computer hardware because of needing more processing power for my audio work. What do you think are the next audio features to come to the tech space? More stuff like RTX voice that does noise removal, better special special sound, I mean, special audio. Um, well, Dan, what do you think? And I know you don't do this, but I'm just kind of curious what you think comes next. I mean, I'm trying to... I honestly don't know that uh, that much about the what audio technologies are and aren't coming out at any given time like i know there was some hubbub about like ray traced audio a couple years ago mm-hmm. if i'm remembering correctly but i don't yeah, know the if that PS5 ever kind of does that with its audio 
you know, like it's, what is it? I forgot what it's called, but it has like a compute unit that's basically an audio ASIC or something. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that sounds possibly interesting. I, I, I don't know. But other than that, I'm not really sure of other audio technologies. And that honestly seems like a partially like, wouldn't this be cool rumor thing? Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I think needs to happen is a standard for 3D audio. You know, AMD kind of tried this before with like the 290X, if you remember, Dan. I think it was called True Audio. And Mm -hmm. there were people saying, oh, yeah, the 290X has an audio processor that crushes NVIDIA, and then no one used it, and then they dropped it in upcoming generations. So whatever AMD would do, someone needs to either make a standard audio card that really is kind of like a ray tracing FPGA, but for audio, and then keep supporting it forever, or AMD needs to add... And this might be plausible, you know, as compute units are like are already like what, like five millimeters squared each or smaller. Like if we could get to a point where AMD could use two to five millimeters squared of the silicon for like an audio processor and then never get rid of it and, and like make it standard, I think that'd be great. But it, they could only really like Sony did that with the PS5, but they control everything and sell you headsets. So it's easy to make it get used. With AMD, I would want them, or NVIDIA, there needs to be some streamline of like making sure everything and I'll call it the audio supply chain of sound to your ears isn't junk. There needs to be some sticker where it's like, this device can do it, this uh, this audio thing can output it, and this game supports it. And I don't feel like the audio standards we have now adequately do that because it's still kind of a mess. Yeah, because I, the audio... Uh oftentimes feels like it's auxiliary to like the monitor and it's just a thing people don't pay as much attention to so i'm not sure how because really what you need to do is you need to figure out a way to successfully advertise like how this audio is giving you a better experience that's an issue which it's easier to do that with visuals i think exactly like how do you advertise how good this sounds, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a thing a lot of people were worried about with the PS5, but it seems like they were able to do it to a point where it's just an extra feature that's doing well because it's part of the overall package. But I mean, it's something Sony struggled with. So yeah, I don't know. I think um, an a dedicated accelerator for audio makes sense to me in an upcoming generation. More accelerators, they don't take up much space anymore. You know, like look how much scaling we're getting for like sram you know like l3 l2 cache it's like i think between five and three nanometer the difference is like three percent or five five percent i think like that's how much smaller cache gets going from tsmc five nanometer to three nanometer whereas the logic density gets 70 percent better <laughs> like if that's the case then instead of adding more cache or extra compute units why don't you just add one audio processor i think that mm-hmm. makes sense but you gotta make sure it's a feature you make devs use and that you have a sticker for for audio, which I think I just thought of another way. NVIDIA is going to add a sticker to their box. Now, the more I say this and I'm going to go AMD, you had true audio first. You had the PS5's audio <laughs> processor. Why did NVIDIA beat you to this again? Don't let that happen, AMD. I hope it doesn't. Yeah, because you know, they need to figure out a way because they, you can do that with resolution, frame rate, everything. You can easily quantify that. They need to figure out a way to quantify it to the nerds that like PCs. Right. 
which AMD has less resources for their graphics than NVIDIA. So I think it's hard for them to justify, whereas NVIDIA can go, hey, an extra sticker, the second they add FSR 3, we're talking about future ray traced audio. Bye, AMD. <laughs> like, that's why I think the more I talk about this, that's something NVIDIA is going to do. Um, Balto writes in and he says, have you heard that there's some Xbox Series X slash S games which can run off an external drive? What are your thoughts on this? Um, Nothing. It's not surprising. Like when I look at at least the thumbnail for the video you're sending here from MVG, which I like MVG, these I'm seeing like Division 2 and Rogue uh, Fighter, the, the Star Wars Fighter game. Yeah, these are games that run on last gen so <laughs> any game you can run off of a usb is a game that's using an old engine yeah so presumably you should be able to play it on a hard drive although eh, that, would, that would require them to just re <laughs> to uh remake the game files it would be not but it would be nice if like they were able to compress some of the game files on older generation uh games on the new consoles but yeah and it does seem do like I'm looking at this video. The games do have a drop in load times or an increase, I should say, in load yeah. times for these. So it's like, I don't know. I, I I would rather a streamlined system that accelerates loading by default, even when devs don't program for it, that no game takes longer than five to 10 seconds to load, even games that use an old engine. And I, I mean, it's nice for the people who have it, but I got to be honest, I've never had an issue installing enough games on like what the consoles offer by default, besides the Series S, obviously. I guess that's maybe a big deal for Series S owners. Yeah, because the podcast, I mean, because the, uh, the pocket, the, the Series S has what, like half a terabyte, correct? Yeah. Which this version of it does. Wink. <laughs> which, yeah. Which, yeah, that's, that that really isn't enough. I mean, that's not enough for a Call of Duty game, basically. Yeah, so, sure. I, I think this is actually good news for the Series S because it gives you options. And you, you know, I keep looking at these little thumb drives. I, I have one here somewhere that I just got. You know, as I continually, like, update the USB drive, I used to move files around my PCs over here. And, like, this thing here is 400 megabytes a second. Uh, it's 30 bucks and it's 256 gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a lot cheaper than the stuff in uh, Microsoft's trying to charge you for their, you know, DRM SSD. So for a Series S person, that's probably a big deal because you can spend like 30 bucks and then throw a few more of your games every now and then to that. Yeah. But as we move forward, it's going to be less and less games because they're not supporting last gen and they can't run unless you use a modern ssd hopefully or that would suggest the console isn't uh using features it could be <laughs> you know so it's cool but i uh let's use next gen storage and drop the old stuff guys come on like that that's what i'm most excited about yeah. um okay so that's it dan that's mm -hmm. all the stuff we had to discuss today um any final thoughts or words no, I don't think so. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is I should have a Zen 5 leak coming soon. Maybe it'll be before this podcast is even out or after, but that means I just decidedly didn't talk about those rumors in this at all. <laughs> and, 
yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on YouTube. Ring the bell button. And I check the statistics. It seems like over half of you aren't subscribed who are watching our content. So let's go. Let's get yeah. that. Let's double the subscribers, guys, <laughs> right now. And then also make sure you subscribe to Broken Silicon, our podcast app of choice. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app you use. And uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. We are working on upgrading more of that content like video and coming out earlier and having more features and it's all ad free and it comes out early to patrons. So all that's there. It's the best way to support us is to support us on Patreon. There's tons of exclusive ad free content that comes out and, or comes out early for the people that support us there. And, uh, otherwise, yeah. Mm. See everybody. Have a good week. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website. Moore's law is dead. Moore's law is dead and broken silicon are trademarks of their creator. Tom, that guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcasts, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Carrie No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. 
Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Journey, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Dreadbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Forbin, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Lawn, The Mechanical Philosopher, Joe Foote, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchik, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Christopher Croson, Joshua L. Herrera, Valko Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spentham G. Spamtum, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Gyps, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Alex Vega, Gregory S. Ecker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, VentiCZ, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Matt, Sutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, AWS Danny, Patrick Groh, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, John, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, Mac Daffy, AC, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Albuma, Joseph A. Madrigal, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Cole Attic, Henry Zhang, Judson N., Keith Moore, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Joseph Kelly, Earth Taurus, Hexa Puma, Chrysantine, Jim Ferriera, RB Racer, Keith Moore, Michael Cozy, Ben, DNA Tech, Toka, John O'Shea, Royce Myers, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushbot, Tika Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Rizink, Mean Dean, Richard Yao, Andre Jacques, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Sedler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, William Wilpey, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, John Swin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shea, Julian Leach, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Michael Aaron, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen and Gima Himsagung, Derek Lambing, James Mosher, Kiko Sato, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 